words, the Bible says we should all live in peace. But if you've watched the news over the last seven days or so, you know that our world is not in peace. Right? The ideal is to live in peace and men ought to forgive one another, love one another. And triality of the world you live in is that there is no peace. And so the Bible has to deal with what happens when you live in a world with no peace. It's not promoting to have no peace, but rather how you deal in that reality. How do you live in that reality? So as we study the passage of masters and servants, number one, God's not promoting slavery. Number two, he's dealing with the reality of what was going on in that time in the Roman Empire with Christians, with people that had received the hope of Jesus Christ in their life. Number three, let me just say this, that slavery in the Roman Empire was not the same type of slavery as the one we find here in America during the Civil War or before the Civil War. The slavery was different in the Roman times. Okay. Um, there's a few differences that you would find. For, for instance, number one, in the Roman Empire, uh, slaves could get married and have a, married, uh, a marital life. Okay? They, they weren't like subjugated as just uh, a possession. Uh, they, were, they, they, they were allowed to have a family. They, they were uh, allowed to, to kind of experience what it is to, to have a family and have a marital life. Number two, slaves were educated. In fact, the word that is used here, the Greek word is oikete, uh, which is the Greek word for a, a household servant, okay? The household servants or the household slaves were actually uh, very educated. Most of them were the ones that were the tutors for the children of the, uh, of the household owner. They were, or, or master, they were, they're the ones that would educate their kids. They're the ones that many times were, you know, kind of like the physicians for the kids. They were the ones that took care of the kids, almost like a nanny or a, or a caretaker would. So they were, they were, uh, important in the household. Okay, they were important there. They weren't, they weren't just kind of used as property, but rather they were, they were in the household and uh, many times treated as family, even though legally they weren't family. Legally, they weren't going to inherit anything uh, from the owner, but they were uh, servants that were, uh, were living there. Uh, in fact, in that time, there were many people that would go themselves, sell themselves into servanthood to try to just get ahead in life. You would make wages. They would pay uh, uh, for that. And, and some of them would do that just to kind of get ahead in life. So that was very different from the slavery here in America where people were brought against their will and, and, uh, and treated very differently. Uh, and so when we get into this passage, understand servants and masters, he's talking about that system in the Roman Empire. Okay. And, uh, and, and I just want to say that in today's day and age and in our, uh, culture here in America, we, we obviously do not use the servant master system. That's not how our economy works, but, uh, we do have employers and employees. And so a lot of the truth that we're going to study this morning can apply to employers and employees. How are we to react with our employers? How, how are we to, uh, uh, display our hope or live out our hope when we are in that kind of relationship in our life. And so that's what we're going to dig into this morning. I want you to, to notice then what the, uh, what the passage says. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 18. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, 
if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bore or bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. All right, what are some of the truths then that Peter is talking about in this relationship of servants and masters? I want you to notice, first of all, if you're taking notes, the imperative to submit. Just as we are to submit to the authority of government in our life, we are also to submit to those that would be an authority in other ways in our life. All right, the same word here that's uh, found in at least the King James Version, be subject, maybe a different version would say submit. It's the same word that is used in verse 13. The same Greek word, hippotasso. And if you remember, that, that, that Greek word is a military term. And it means to get into rank. In other words, uh, get under, under the authority that is above you. All right. Of course, not literally uh, in the military it would literally be go to your go to your divisions, go to your battalions, you know, get get into your into your groups and into your ranks. But uh, here, Peter's obviously not talking about a military drill, but he's simply saying that we need to get under the authority that God has placed in our lives. All right? The authority that is there. Now. Peter is using this word submit as an imperative. In other words, as something that needs to be followed. If you remember uh, grammar in, in school, the imperative sentence is a command, right? Or a request. That, that's an imperative. A declarative sentence is just saying something that is true, just kind of uh, uh, declaring a fact. But an imperative sentence is one that is asking to uh, do something. And you can see that here he's saying be subject Unto servants be subject unto uh, your masters. This is not an imperative sentence that has any dependent attached to it. In other words, you'll notice that he doesn't say, uh, "Obey uh, servants, obey your masters." If he's a good guy, it doesn't say that. In fact, it just says, "Be subject unto your masters." Look at what it says in verse eighteen: "With all fear," and then it says, "Not only to the good and gentle, but also." to the froward. So here's what I want us to understand this morning. Submission was to be done, uh, that was to be done as servants to masters is not dependent on the goodness of the master. When we submit, it, we're not submitting because we think that the master here in this case is a good person or because he's asking us nicely to do something. Now, if we apply this to the employee-employer relationship, as an employee, your employer, of course, has the authority at the company that you're working for. So when your employer is speaking with you and asking you to do something, Peter says you ought to be submissive to that. 
He was telling the servants, those slaves that had gotten saved. He was saying, listen, in the household where you're working at, when you're tutoring these kids and, and the homeowner is asking you to do this and do that, you ought to be submissive to them. Now, the reality is there were some homeowners and masters that were harsh and cruel to their servants. They were mean to them in the way that they spoke with them and the way that they treated them. And Peter says, whether they're good and gentle to you or whether they're froward. The, the word froward is, um, is the Greek word scolio. We get the English word scoliosis from that. It's a medical term and it's when you have a curved uh, spinal, uh, spinal cord, they, they call it scoliosis and, and uh, there's usually a lot of pain associated with that. But it means curved, it means crooked. And so Peter is saying, listen, it, it, it doesn't really matter if they're nice and kind to you or if they're treating you harshly and they're, they're crooked in what they're doing. He says, you ought to be submissive to them. You ought to be submissive. It's not dependent on their goodness. Now, this submissiveness entails not only our attitude, but also our actions, right? How we answer them is important. How you at work tomorrow answer your boss matters. You know, I've worked in quite a few secular jobs and I've met more than one person that when asked to do something by their boss, as soon as they leave, can't say anything nice. Or even sometimes answer the boss in a, in a really rude way. Fine, okay, you know, I don't know. I have, they're just complaining and going and doing what they're asked to do. Do you know that as Christians, with the hope that we've received, when asked to do something, our attitude ought to be a good attitude. Our response ought to be a right kind of response. Whether the boss is a good boss or whether you don't have a very good boss, Peter says, our response isn't dependent upon their goodness. Our response ought to be submissive because this is the will of God. In fact, Peter says this because it is acceptable to God. So just like with government, for the Lord's sake, we submit unto the laws as long as they're not morally wrong, as long as it's not going in contradiction to what God has asked us to do. We, we submit to that authority and to that law. The same in the relationship with employer and employee. He said we ought to submit to it. We ought to obey, have a right attitude and a right response. Why? Because that's what is acceptable to God. In fact, it's God's will that we live that way. You see, submitting in a situation where the master is not being kind and loving because we are obeying God will bring suffering in the moment, but with it, it will bring God's acceptance as well. When we submit, even to at work, to a boss that is a jerk, to a boss that really is not displaying good leadership, when you submit and love and kindly do what is being asked of you, we may suffer for the moment. You, you might be humiliated because of the way he talked to you. You might be mocked because of what he said. Yet, being submissive in that, you are serving God. You know, sometimes we think of this, and, and, and 
uh, it's, it's just kind of how we are in our nature. But sometimes we think, you know, pastor, he's a full-time, you know, minister and a full-time Christian in that sense. But me, I'm, I, I work in a secular world. I, I'm not a full-time minister of the gospel. And, and really what we mean by that is, well, this guy, he, he, he makes his living working in the church. He has a calling from God, and he's working that calling in pastoring and ministering. But you know, the Bible teaches that we are all ministers. Okay? Not all of us are called to be pastors, but we are all called to live godly and holy. That's what Peter has has been stating, right, in chapter one. So because of that, you and I ought to submit to our employers because the vast majority in here will have an employer on Monday that you're answering to. And that, that is work for God. That is acceptable to God. What is unacceptable to God is defying and living in rebellion to that authority. That's not acceptable. So, well, 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 pastor, but you don't know how much he hates Christianity in the Bible. Yeah, Peter said, still be submissive. Whether they're good and gentle or whether they're froward, you still, why? Because it is the will of God. You know, I love that in verse 20, Peter makes this comparison. He says, look, if you're getting, if your boss is getting onto you because you're doing a bad job, then there's no glory in that. There's no honor in that. It's not something that you can say, I'm suffering for Christ in this. He said, in fact, you're, you're getting what you deserve, right? You're being irresponsible. And so they're getting your attention for that. But he says, there's glory. And this is where God's will, where God's glory is seen is when you're doing good, you're suffering for it. When we, when, we, when we get in trouble because we're doing wrong, what accompanies that trouble is guilt and shame. And that's what plays to our pride, and that's why we're like, oh, what does he think he is? I don't know. I don't know. And, and we respond in pride. But when you do what's right and you submit and you suffer for it, you know what you feel? You don't feel guilt and shame. You feel joy and peace. It's crazy. But that which is done acceptable in God's sight bears the fruit of joy and peace. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. So when you do God's will and we get under that authority, whether they're right or whether they're gentle and good or whether they're not, then it produces in us a joy and a peace. And that's why uh, in Luke chapter six, Jesus said this to his disciples, but love ye your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again. Somebody had asked him, well, 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 well Jesus, I mean, uh, what, what about these relationships in life that are difficult? He said, look, if you're, if in verse uh, 31 and verse 32 there, that same chapter, we didn't, I didn't have room to just put it all in there, but but he was saying, look, if you, if you do good to them that do good to you, well, even unbelievers do that. And if, if, you, uh, if, you, if, you, if you lend money just so that you can make it back with interest, well, even unbelievers do that. He said that the difference lies many times in the fact that 
when we're being persecuted, how do we react? Oh, when, when an enemy is attacking us, how do you react? And, and here's where Jesus says in verse 35, love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and he shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Jesus said, you know that God lets the sun come up for everybody that lives in mission? Even though not everybody in mission fears God? You know, not everybody in mission is doing God's will, but he does it for everyone. And so Peter is saying, listen, th- this is something to be, to be uh, rewarded. This is something that is thankworthy is the word he uses in our, in our uh, uh, version there in, in verse number 20. Th- this is something that is acceptable to God, that God regards highly when you suffer for doing what is right. When you submit even in the midst of difficult trials. Now that is the imperative to submit. Now look at, secondly, the imitation of Christ. He he goes on in verse uh, number 21 to say, here's your example for this. Here's your example for this. Look at verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called. Peter gives us the ultimate Example of someone who submitted, even though it was going to cause him to suffer. And before he tells us who that person is, he said, just remember, first of all, you were called to this. And he said, well, when were we called to this? Jesus said to those that would follow him, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up the cross, and then follow me. The cross was a symbol of shame and humiliation. It was a, it was a, a symbol of suffering and pain. And Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? You want to follow me? You're going to suffer. Be willing to suffer. Jesus said, if you're not willing to suffer in that same passage, then you're not worthy to follow me. So Peter just says, I was there. I heard Jesus say that, and I'm just telling you, This is what you were called to. Don't forget. Don't forget. Yeah, we're not of this world, right? Man, we're just passing through, right? And as we're passing through out of this world, from from another kingdom and another world, we are still to submit. We're still to do good. We are still to remember that we are to take up our cross and follow him. Now, how do we do this? He says. In verse number 21, because Christ also, there's our example, suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So the imitation of Christ is to follow his steps. Now, what we follow in Christ, when he says follow in his steps, what what does that really mean? What is literally he saying? Well, Christ submitted. So as we submit, we're also following Christ. Now, something he's going to remind us of is this. The idea of suffering and injustice always comes with a thought, I don't deserve this, right? Has anybody ever ever gotten reprimanded and you say, I wasn't even talking? I mean, the teacher's getting on to, hey, y'all guys, quit talking back there. I wasn't even talking, it was him. That ever happened to you when you were in school? 
And so the thought comes to us, I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything wrong. And so Peter says, here's our ultimate example. Did you know that Jesus never responded wrong to somebody? He was never rude. He wasn't rebellious. He was submissive to those that were above him. In fact, when he was 12 years old and his mom said, hey, we haven't seen you. He said, I've got to be about my father's business. And then the Bible says, but then he submitted and went with them. He didn't have to. Mary knew he was the son of God. Joseph, his stepfather, knew he was the son of God. Yet he was willing to submit to them and go with them. In his adult life, he, he never treated or mistreated someone. Never treated someone wrongly. And yet, though he loved people, and though he always did what was right, he suffered. Always. So Peter's thought is this. You know, sometimes we suffer and we deserve it. Sometimes we respond wrongly to people and you deserve to get called out for that. But Jesus didn't. And in, in those injustices that he experienced, Jesus was still submissive. To follow his steps means to be submissive even when injustices are being done to us. I love what he writes there in verse 22, who did no sin, that is Jesus, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. In other words, when he was cursed and mocked, he didn't turn around and curse and mock those that were cursing him. He didn't retaliate that way. He didn't use his words out of control. Then he, notice it says, uh, now when he, was, he, when he suffered, he threatened not. That, that word threatened not, it, it means he didn't threaten to harm somebody. So Jesus knew what it was to be falsely accused, to suffer injustices. And in those injustices, in the midst of that, his attitude wasn't, you just wait. You just wait till I come back. It wasn't his attitude. Now, Peter says, Look at the attitude Jesus had. Look at the actions he took. We are to follow his steps when injustices happen. Now, let me be clear here. Because okay? we're taking one passage here, and the context is in that of submission. For servants under their masters. Now, that doesn't mean in today's world, as employee and employers, that you have to stay in a work environment that is hostile. It's not what Peter is saying, okay? There are some people, I, I, I guess I can't quit my job because Peter says, that, that's, not, that's not what he says, but there is a way to leave your job, right? You, you don't just leave in the middle of the day and don't tell anybody and just never go back. It's a terrible testimony. That's, that's not how you leave. And Peter's not saying that if you're in that kind of uh, environment, you can't, you can't say something. He's not saying if, if there's harm coming to you that you cannot protect yourself. That's not what he's saying. In fact, many people uh, 
remember the passages of Jesus saying, love your enemies, and they forget the passages in Mark and Luke where he said to his disciples, you know what, sell your garments and buy a sword. In fact, get two swords. Said there's danger coming. There's going to be uh, there's going to be uh, difficulty in warring and 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 protect yourself. Jesus did say that. In fact, the disciples said, "Jesus, we have two swords." He said, "That's enough. That's good. That'll work." When they came to get Jesus, one of those disciples, the guy that wrote this letter, took out his sword and cut off the ear of somebody. And Jesus said, "That's that's not the time." put the ear back on that person. And he said, now is the time for me to suffer. I say that just to say this. So in this submission to our employer, doesn't mean that he's asking you just the same way in the government to do something that's morally wrong or cheat on your book. You don't do that. We don't do that. We stand for what is right. And if in standing for what is right, if your boss is asking you to do something that you know to be wrong, morally wrong or against the law, and you stand for what is right and you suffer because of that, then so be it. You ought to suffer for doing what is right. That's what Peter's saying. So, well, he's going to fire me if I don't do it. Then it's probably not a job you want to be at anyway. Don't get into a job where you're breaking the law for somebody. It's, It's not a good idea doesn't end well. But in those things that our employees are asking us to do that we know are good and right, we ought to do it. Now, let me give you a a situation, if I could, really quick on this. Sometimes you might get into a job where your employer is asking you to stay a little bit later than everybody else. I've met more than one person that just says, you know what, he's just picking on me. Guy, I mean, everybody else needs to leave at 4. I got to leave at 4.30. Just just because he doesn't like me. Well, how we react in that situation can tell a lot and do a lot for our employer. Peter would say, listen, number one, if he's asking you to do it, then do it. But do it with a good attitude. Now, you can think of it different ways. You can say, you know what? Maybe he doesn't trust anybody else but you. But looking at it like he's punishing you, maybe he just trusts you more than anybody else. Maybe because you've been responsible and doing well, he wants you to have more responsibility because you're helping his business. Peter says, just just submit and do what's right. Have a good reaction and a good attitude to the injustice. It might be an injustice. Well, that's still not right. I've got a family. I want to go home. I understand. But how you react in that situation, Peter says, listen, just lovingly. Suffer for doing what's right. First John chapter 2, verse 6, I put it in your notes. He that saith he abideth in him, that's in Christ, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. In other words, hey, do what Jesus did. React the way Jesus reacts. So notice... In the imitation of Christ, we are to follow his steps. But he also says at the end of verse number 23, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That word committed himself is literally to give oneself over to God totally. Jesus, as our example, gave himself totally to God for whatever God wanted. That's why he could pray, not my will, but thine be done. 
because his desire more than what he wanted was what does God want? He's our example in this. That's why it's important before you leave a job to pray about it. God, do you want me to leave the job? There's just so much suffering. Suffering might be what God wants you to go through right now. Maybe he wants you to suffer for good so that your employer might see the glory of God. So that maybe your employer can have the hope that you get to live with every day. Or it could be that God wants you to leave that job. And he's made it very difficult. And in that difficulty, made it very clear, this is not where you need to be. I'm, I'm one that can't tell you which is which. You got to pray about it. God will lead you. In fact, in John chapter 14, he said he'd leave us a guide. The Holy Spirit is our guide, not the pastor of Bethany Baptist Church. I can pray with you about it. I can show you some scriptures that might help you with your decision. But at the end, it's you and God. And all I'm saying is it's so important understanding that. Understanding that we are to commit ourselves totally to God. In times of injustices and suffering. It's interesting. Jesus didn't reply to every lie that was told of him. He didn't reply to every accusation that was leveled at him. There were times when he did reply to the Pharisees. Because what the Pharisees were disseminating was a lie that was hurting the people. And in time that happened, Jesus had to stop them and begin to correct that. But there were plenty of lies that were leveled just at him. Personal. Like they said, how can you say you're the son of God? We know who your dad is. You're an illegitimate child. And I don't think they use the proper term illegitimate child when they're talking about him. Jesus wasn't there to respond to every one of those. In fact, even in the time when he was going to be crucified. You can read about it in John chapter 19. I put it there in your notes. Standing before Pilate, Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to free you? Hey, look at the way they're accusing you. Look what they're saying. Is it true? Jesus didn't answer a word. Then Pilate said something that he thought was the truth or the reality. He said, I have the power to save you. Jesus said, the only the power the, the only power you have is the power that my father has given you. And if he wants me to suffer, in other words, I will suffer. Those that have given me up to you, they have the greater sin. They're the ones lying about me, but I'm not here to try to prove my innocence and go through a trial. I'm, I'm simply here to do what God wants me to do. So Peter says, There are times when suffering for right is just good to suffer. It's God's will. It's so that they can see the hope that is with others can see the hope that is within you. So we see the imperative submit. Why? So that we can follow the example that was given to us and do that which is right in God's eyes, that which is acceptable and is the will of God. Notice number three, how he ends this section, and that is with our independence from sin. 
He ends with how you're able to do that. I, I've, I've spoken with people and I've experienced it in my life. Sometimes you, 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 you get into moments where you go, I just, it's hard for me to control it. It's hard for me to control what I want to say. It's hard for me to control my emotions. I don't know if it's really even possible to do that. And Peter says, it is possible. It is possible to submit. It, it is possible to suffer injustices in life. First of all, because Jesus did it. And if you follow his steps, you can do it. If you totally commit yourself to God, you can do it. But notice why. Our independence from sin is why. Now this, he says, was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. That's why he says, who bear, who his own self bear our sins, verse 24, in his own body on the tree. When Jesus went to the cross and endured the pain, when he suffered the injustices of life, he gave us victory over sin. On the cross, he defeated the power of sin and he freed us from the penalty of sin. That's why Isaiah 53 says, by his wounds, we are healed. It was his work on the cross that made us new, that gave us new life, that gave us a new nature. He suffered unjustly so that we might be made just. And in that justice, Peter says, that's how we're supposed to live. See, look, look at verse number 24. He says, being dead in sins that we should live unto righteousness. And that's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He's going to baptize you, not with water, but with fire, with the Holy Spirit. And in that baptism, you're going to have a new nature and a new life. And you're going to have power over sin in your life. And you're going to be able to submit and suffer in times of injustice. You'll be able to follow his steps. You'll be able to give yourself totally to God. Our independence from sin, yes, it was accomplished when Jesus suffered and died on the cross. But that ought to lead us, he says, to live righteously. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans 6. I put it in your notes. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. See, when Jesus suffered, when he submitted himself, it was so that he could give us independence and so that we could live righteously. In other words, there's a purpose to his suffering. Now, just remember, Peter's talking to Christians that are suffering in the Roman Empire. Some of them are servants in households where their masters are not good people. And he's saying, submit to them. And they're probably thinking, why would I submit to that guy? That guy's crooked, Peter. I mean, this, this, this guy treats me badly, terribly. And Peter says, because even your Savior suffered too, injustices. And in that suffering, he accomplished much for the glory of God. And in your suffering, you can accomplish much for the glory of God. That's what our world needs. Is that hope. But that hope sometimes is seen through our suffering. 
That's why at the very end in verse 25, he says, For you were all sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The independence that God has given us is to be different, to suffer in well-doing, so that the glory of God can be displayed to others, so that we can follow the shepherd and bishop of our souls. I, I don't have time to read it, but there in your notes, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, it's just beautiful. So this morning, we've seen how hope affects even our relationships at work. Peter says we're to submit to those above us and in doing so imitate Christ. And it's through that that we really show others that we've been made free. That slave, that servant can say, yeah, you you might think that I'm doing this for you because you are so powerful and you can control me because you're the boss. But really I'm doing it because that's what God wants me to do. And I suffer, and I submit to that suffering and humiliation because, you know what? Jesus did too. And I follow him. And in following him, I've given all of me to him. And now the life I live is a life of righteousness from the freedom I have. So here's a few questions this morning as we finish. Number one, how are you doing with submission at work? How was your relationship with your boss this past week? Are you displaying an attitude of submission? Are you willing to suffer for doing right? Or are you not? Secondly, are you imitating Christ? At work, when they mistreat you, are you going to Facebook and blasting everyone? Or are you enduring? And lastly, have you been made free? Maybe the reason that you can't do that is because you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, and you're still a slave to sin. Jesus told those that rejected him, you do the works of your father, the devil. That's why my light repels you. Man, but if you come to the light, the difference it would make. Maybe that's the decision you need to make. Maybe you need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and accept him as your personal savior today. And I'd love for you to make that decision and come to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and for the hope that we have. Because honestly, it applies so clearly in our lives. Father, I don't know the situation for every person in here. I don't know how their work situation, what kind of boss they have. But I do know that your will is for us to submit. I know that your will is that we suffer in well-doing. That though we may be mistreated, we ought to react in love. And though that it's not always easy, I pray that we would willingly suffer and endure.
not always trying to point out our righteousness, but rather pointing out the will of God and giving a testimony of being willing to suffer joyfully for what is right and for what honors you. So Father, I pray that you would be with us this week. I pray if we haven't been having a submissive attitude that we would. I pray that if we haven't been following your steps and giving ourselves wholly to you, that we would this week. That we would live in the righteousness and freedom that you've given us. As a piano plays and Quickly, I just want to give a quick invitation. Perhaps you're here this morning. You're saying, you know, Pastor, you're talking about being submissive and freedom. And to be honest, I, I've noticed I, I really haven't been able to control much in my life. And I think the reason is because I'm really not a Christian yet. I've never accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. And really, that's something I need to do today. Would you pray for me? I want to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Is there someone like that that says, just pray for me, Pastor. I need to accept Christ. And perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to apply this in my workplace. I'm not always having the right kind of attitude toward those above me. And sometimes I feel like I am being mistreated. And man, would you just pray for me that I would react and follow Jesus in this and that I would honor him in my workplace. Is there anyone like that? Just say, pray for me. You can just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Is there anyone like that? Just pray for me. Bless you. Father, this morning, you've seen our hearts and you know us better than we know ourselves. Father, I pray that as a church, as your children, we would live this out. As difficult as it may be sometimes, Help us to live in your power and in your righteousness. Be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.